The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. How do we move away from envy? How do we move away from it? Where do we take our envy so that it does not strangle us? Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. Thanks for joining us again on Today with Jeff Vines. I'm Bill and we're continuing Pastor Jeff's message from Psalm 72, looking at envy. And so far, Pastor Jeff has defined what envy is and why we need to deal with it. And as we continue now, we'll hear how to deal with it. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Okay, let's catch up. Where are we now? First, what is envy? We said envy weeps at those who rejoice and rejoices at those who are weeping. Second, why do you have to deal with it? Why can't you just ignore it? Because the psalmist says again in chapter 73, verse 21, that his spirit, he was grieved, always sad. He was sour and his spirit embittered. He was angry. It destroyed his joy, his future potential for joy. It destroys political cultures, corporate culture, social and physiological health, psychological health. One last reason, and then we'll move to the result. We'll move to the answer to this. Dr. Tim Keller makes a very strong point here. He says, if you understand what it is that you envy, you will begin to understand your own heart. He says, learn what you envy and you will know who you really are. And he quotes a book by Soren Kierkegaard called Sickness Unto Death. And Kierkegaard in this book says that God calls every person to live before God. Not to live before anything else, but to live before God. Now you say, what does that mean? Let me take you back to Charles Tooley, the great American sociological king who developed what is called the looking glass self. And in the looking glass self, he says that a person's self-concept is determined by what he thinks the most important person in his life thinks about him or her. So in summary, whatever the most important person in your life thinks about you to a great degree, that's what you're gonna think about yourself. And in the past, I've said, well, in that case, if Jesus has preeminence in your life, if you live before him, if he's the most important entity in your life, then your self-esteem is gonna be off the charts because nobody loves you like him. This is what it means to live before God, to make God the main source of your happiness, to build your identity and self-esteem on him. Therefore, Keller says, if you want to discover what it is that you look to instead of God for your identity, for your self-affirmation, for what justifies your life and existence, what proves your value, your meaning and significance, the answer to that question, he says, can be discovered in what it is that you envy. Now, 
Just a quick word to all the pastors who are listening. If you're honest with yourself, you know that we're no different than anyone else. And you, you have to be careful. You can start to believe that your self-esteem and your acceptance and your significance is based upon how many people know your name, how many people brag on your sermons, how many followers you have on Facebook, whatever it is, you can suddenly begin to have such a motivation that you would begin to envy those pastors and teachers who are seemingly more successful than you. And suddenly you begin to do what you do, not out of love for God, because you're not living before God. You're living before a big church and a big name. When you do that, you'll start doing things that are not consistent with the kingdom of God, but are merely consistent with the kingdom you're trying to build. And you will live with an overarching sense of sorrow and your soul begins to disintegrate. But we're not the only ones, are we? Let's say that, let's say that you're a coach. And when you were in uh, undergraduate school, so you were going to university, you and four friends, you decided that you were gonna go into coaching. And you, all of your friends, you, you did exactly that. But you notice 10 years, 15 years after you graduated, your friends now are coaching at a higher level than you are. They're winning more accolades. They're winning more championships. And you're stuck down here in division three and nobody hardly knows your name. How do you respond to that? How do you feel about that? And of course, that all depends on your relationship to God. If you're living before God, then you'll still be able to admire people who are doing better than you. You'll be able to rejoice in their successes. But if you're living before your career, if coaching is the reason you get out of bed every morning, if coaching is the meaning of your life, if coaching is the way that you know that you're worth something, if you're living before coaching, you'll not be able to admire the successes of someone else. Now, you may say that you do. You may even try to convince yourself that you are, but in reality, you resent them. If you wanna know who you really are, what your self-justifications are, follow your envies. Coaching, acting, a musician, even a worship leader, a teacher, a writer, a preacher, whatever it is, if you live before those things and depend on those things to give you your sense of self-worth, you will always live with envy and bitterness. You know, in the movie Rocky, do you remember? Adrian keeps asking Rocky, what do you want, Rocky? What do you want? And he says, I just want to go the distance. I don't have to win the fight. I just want to go the distance. She says, why? And then he says, then I'll know that I'm not just some bum off the street. Boxing was his self-justification. Now listen, this is the end. It's gonna take me a moment, but I need your attention. There is something in every person's life hearing this message and speaking this message. Down deep in your heart, you're saying, if I have that, then it'll prove that I'm not just some bum off the street. If I can just get that. And if it's not God and your relationship with God, the love of God, the experience of God, knowing God, the lights in you, if it's not that, if, if that's not the deepest consolation of your heart, if it's not the greatest honor of your soul, 
If it's not God who convinces you that you're not just some bum off the street, that God has made you worthy of love and acceptance and eternal life, then you will be drained by envy and you will dwell in the house of sadness all the days of your life, embittered by all the unrealized. And because everybody in this room and speaking and listening does not live wholly before God, but is always looking to something else for self-justification. You and I are always fighting envy and are always drained of so much of the joy that we could be truly living with. So the question in the end of the sermon then, how do we move away from envy? This is a, a series called Move. How do we move away from it? Where do we take our envy so that it does not strangle us. Now, this is where Proverbs, it's also enunciated quite well in our text in Psalm 73, but there are two verses in Proverbs 23 that almost appear as if the same writer's writing both, and he's given the answer to the tension that we find in Psalm 73. In Proverbs 23, in two verses, 17 and 18, we learn the answer. You have to move up into something, and you have to move ahead into something. If you ever hope to defeat envy in such a way that it no longer strangles you, you got to move up into something and you got to move ahead into something. You find it in these two verses. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. So, what is the fear of the Lord? Remember, we've said numerous times the fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is respect and reverence and primarily worship. It's awe and wonder toward the beauty and magnificence of God. Well, let me go back to Vic Falls just for a moment. When I came around the corner past the statue of David Livingston, you see Victoria Falls. There is a knowledge that you immediately take in that truly I am standing in the presence of something great but that's not enough. The psalmist tells us that the reason he was able to get hold of his envy was when he entered the sanctuary. He was able to get hold of his envy when he entered the house of the Lord, when he worshiped, when he experienced God. Listen now, this is gonna take a little doing, follow me. Most of the things we struggle with, we can defeat by proper thinking, by thinking appropriately. Most of the temptations in our lives if we just get to the point where we say, wait a minute, I'm about to sacrifice my in future. I'm, I'm about to sacrifice my entire future for the pleasure of something in the present that's gonna last about two seconds. If you can think appropriately, often you can avoid, you can win the victory over temptation. Envy's not like that. You have to go beyond the knowledge of just knowing into experiencing. He says, I went into the sanctuary and I began to perceive Look at the language he uses to describe this event in Psalm 63. He says in verse two through five, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. He says in the sanctuary, I moved past knowing into experiencing that God loves me. It's having the sense of the heart of God for you. 
Look at all the sensory language in Psalm 63. I went to the sanctuary. I saw your love with the eyes of my soul. I tasted your love. It was food on the palate of my soul. I felt your love. What's he saying? When you go to Victoria Falls, one of the best things you can do after you see it with your eye, you have the knowledge of its power and glory, is to close your eyes and experience and take it all in. The mist, the sound, the thunder, the musiotunia, the smoke that thunders, the beauty, the rainbow, the sunshine, to experience it, to have almost a, a type of experience whereby you go into the falls. It's like music. You can listen to the music or sometimes you can almost feel like you're placing yourself inside the music. It's the power of experiencing something that goes beyond knowledge into feeling something that meets an incredible need. Folks, this is the power of corporate worship. And it is why we will always need to be together. But there's a power in corporate worship. When the words of the song, you go beyond the knowledge of the words on the screen to closing your eyes and experiencing the power and presence of God and almost jumping into the song itself where it becomes a part of you. That's the way I felt the first time I heard the song, Oh, Come to the Altar. And I heard the words, forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then the last two verses of that song, which most of the times we don't sing, there's a phrase that goes, bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Suddenly one day when we were singing that in corporate worship, it dawned on me, there is a treasure there's a treasure that means that my, my kids, my wife, my in-laws, my grandchildren, there's a treasure they can have that the world can never take away. And suddenly, when you experience it, in a flash, your soul begins to feel its worth when you recognize what the God of this universe did for you and gave you this most valuable gift life eternal, a good life in the presence of Jesus, a grace that overwhelms you, this unmerited favor that God would grant that to you when you don't deserve it. Do you know what that's like? If you don't, pray for it. Say, God, up until this time, you've only been a concept, but I'm asking you for a Jesus revelation. I'm asking you for a realization of your unmerited favor and grace. Please say to God, please get out on your knees, do whatever you have to do and say, God, I'm never gonna be able to deal with all this envy until I experience your love. Not just in general, but individually. When my heart was grieved, he says, and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Then he says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He says, when I came to my senses, I realized that God had never left me. I was a brute beast. What does he mean by that? I was unfeeling. Everything was just natural. There was no supernatural. There was no emotion. There was no experience. I knew, but I just acted on impulse. But then I realized that you were completely committed to me. 
You were completely dedicated to me. Even in the midst of my envy, you never left me. And you offered me this unmerited favor and grace. And my eyes were open to the reality that I could live in that, that I could reside in that, that I could depend on you. And even though I did not deserve it, you held me by my right hand. You will guide me and you will lead me and you will ultimately take me into glory. Experiencing that reality kills your envy. Not just knowing, but experiencing that reality that God receives you and accepts you, that he could never love or accept you more than he does right now because it's not based on your goodness, but upon the grace, unmerited favor God gives you. When you truly experience that, go beyond the knowledge, your envy dissipates and your joy increases. Why? Why? Because you realize that everything you're looking for in these other things that you're trying to live before are discovered in a relationship with Jesus. In him, you truly have everything you need. Therefore, no one could ever really have more than you do. Sharon Kierkegaard goes on to say, and I quote, unless you see that he is your portion, your justification, the one who captures your imagination, the one on whom you build your life and before whom you live your life, you will be eaten up by envy all of your life. So first, you move your envy up into the fear of the Lord. You place your faith in his faithfulness to you. You exhibit fear which is not to be afraid of God, but to have a reverence toward God and his greatness and his provision for you. And finally, in the end of the message, you have to move your envy ahead into a future hope. Now stay with me, I'm almost done. Back to Proverbs 23, verse 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you and your hope will never be cut off. Listen, the death of Jesus tells me that God is unconditionally, graciously committed to me. But the resurrection of Jesus tells me that in the future, you and I will possess the very thing we've been searching for all of our lives. Most of us are are very well aware that the things that we're living before the things we're depending on to give us the thing we're searching most for will never deliver. They're not designed to. Coaching can never give you an ultimate sense of worth. Nothing temporary will ever give you what you're looking for. So if you continue to envy these things, even if you achieve them, even if you get what you do not yet have, you're still gonna envy something else because there's always gonna be some person that has what you don't have. And envy will catalyze this feeling in you where you are bitter, where you are unhappy, where all the joy sucked out of you and you can never have joy in the future as well. You've got to, you've got to change that which you lived before. You've got to alter the object, the thing that you're pursuing in order that you can gain the result that you're truly after. Now, let me, let me end like this, okay? Let's say that the thing you want most when you're living on earth is the thing that God gives you in eternity, okay? Let's say the thing you, you want most is the thing he gives you. So let's say it's money. Well, the problem with that is money's all gonna be burned up. So no matter how much you make, it's gonna be worthless in the kingdom that is to come. There's a different currency and it's not cash. Let's say that your, your pursuit is power. If I can just get the power that this person has, the notoriety, the influence, if I can just get that. Well, the problem with that is 
The Bible says all power, all authority, all influence is rendered useless under the power and authority of God in the kingdom that is to come. So no matter how much power and authority you gain here, it's all going to burn away. Useless. You say, okay, I just, well, what about position? I just want people to know that I have risen to a high position and that I matter in my field that I achieved this and that I am to be respected. Well, the problem with that is the Bible says that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has the highest position and your position will be futile because it will all come under the authority of Christ. It's his kingdom. The point is this, until you make Jesus your ultimate pursuit, you'll always envy. <laughs> it won't matter. It'll be, and it'll be foolish because those you envy and everything they possess will one day fade away. Imagine it like this. Let's say that the person that has embittered you, the, the person that you, you hate, you detest because they have what you don't and what you want, you want their lives. Let's say they die. When you stand beside their graves, do you know what you're gonna be saying? I mean, we have so much in the past to support the idea or the truth that when you stand by their grave, here's what you're gonna be saying. You're gonna be saying, I cannot believe I wasted so much time and energy envying what they had. I could have spent so much more time loving and rejoicing and celebrating the things I did have. After all, Jesus has promised me a hope and a future and anything I don't have will be given to me in the kingdom that is to come. Now, let me tell you something else. Let's say you die first and that person that you envy comes to your grave. Let me tell you what they're gonna say. They're gonna stand over your grave and they're gonna say, who was this again? Yeah, that's right. Your envy destroys only you. It has nothing, no impact on the person you envy. In fact, they may not even know you exist. A friend of mine once said, I used to spend my time worrying about what other people think of me. Now I realize they weren't thinking of me at all. This is what will destroy your envy and give life to your soul. Move up into how God sees you, move ahead into what God promises to provide for you and your envy will dissipate. And you're only gonna be able to do that by going into the temple of the Lord in worship and not only knowing about God, but experiencing him. Can I read to you in closing the words of my favorite song? Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling? Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. And then the writer says, oh, come to the altar. The father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then those last two verses that we saw, the last two stanzas, we seldom sing, bear your cross as you wait for a crown. Tell the world of the treasure that you found. Envy is robbing us of so much joy when we've been given so much by God, despite of who we are. He's given us everything. When you live before God, your envy will dissipate because you will look up, you will move up toward heaven and know what God really thinks about you. And that's all that matters. And you'll move ahead into the future in recognition of what God has promised to give you. And in that light, there's no way anyone could ever have more than you have, and that's been promised by God.
Well, we hope that helps you find ways to move away from envy in your life. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll have another message in this series called Move, a message about moving away from darkness. The Bible teaches that what is true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm. That there's an invisible world that greatly impacts the world you and I see every day. Something we can't physically see that possesses significant ramifications on the things that we can see. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.